Psalm 102, 25 through 27 uh, is where we are today, talking about a subject called the immutability of God, the immutability. Now, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand if you don't know what that means. I imagine most of you probably don't because that's not a word we use often. But that's what we're gonna talk about today as we look at the characteristics of our God. Uh, I have a pastor that I greatly admire. I've only actually met him once, but I've read a lot of his stuff and and been blessed by him. His name's Joe McKeever. He's well into his 80s now. Um, Several years ago, he was uh, with his granddaughter in a park and he was pushing her in a swing and they were just talking and, you know, seven, eight-year-old little girl, she says, you know, Grandpa, I don't want to have any babies. He says, well, why would you say that? She said, well, because having babies hurts. Well, it turns out that the mom had been talking to her about the birds and the bees and had told her something about childbirth and she said, well, I don't want any of that. And, and so here's Joe and he's trying to figure out as he's pushing his little granddaughter in the swing, what am I gonna say to this? So finally he comes up with what he thinks is the perfect thing to say. He says, well, sweetie, here's the good news. When you first have your baby, that baby's gonna be so beautiful and you're gonna love it so much. You're gonna be so thankful for it. You're gonna forget all about the pain. And she says, well, you're a man, what do you know? She's got a point. Uh, Actually, what do any of us know? This is my point that I'm starting with today is we think we know things and we don't. We think, okay, this is the way things are and then they change. One of my favorite things, uh, something that is absolute catnip to me is anytime you you have an article or a book uh, about famous predictions that went wrong. I I love this. So I'm just gonna share a few with you. These aren't even the best that I have, but these are ones that I learned recently. So how many of you are familiar with John Philip Sousa, you know, great band guy, you know, Uh, Anyway, John Philip Sousa, well-known for marching band type stuff, back in 1906, wrote an article in a magazine because he was very, very concerned about the spread of record players. Yeah, record players, he thought, were gonna be the end of music in the United States, in the world even, because people are gonna be so content to listen to their recorded music that no one would go take violin lessons and piano lessons and guitar lessons and trumpet lessons. Well, uh, as you can see from our worship band, that did not happen, and I'm grateful for that. Here's another one. 1876, the president of Western Union had a meeting with a fellow named Alexander Graham Bell. You may have heard of him. Uh, Bell came to him and told him about this invention that he had come up with called the telephone and said, would you like to buy the patent to the telephone from me? Now think about how much that was worth in 1876. Head of Western Union said, why would anyone want to use a toy to communicate when we have a perfectly reliable and good communication system called the telegraph? Yeah. Daryl Zanuck in 1940 was the head of 20th Century Fox. It was right at the beginning of television and he told all his shareholders, don't worry about TV. People aren't gonna wanna sit in their living room staring at a plywood box when you can go to a beautiful theater and watch your favorite stars on the big screen. He was wrong. Uh, this, is a, this is a mistake I'm about to tell you about that was actually tragic. So Frank Knox in 1941, December of 1941, was the, was the uh, Secretary of the United States Navy uh, reporters were asking him, so what, are you worried about Japan? Japan is making some very aggressive statements and, and, and they've already taken over a lot of Asia. Are you worried that they're going to attack us? He said, I can tell you this, whatever happens, the US Navy won't be caught napping. And three days later, the Japanese destroyed Pearl Harbor. And those are experts. Those are the people that are paid to know what's going to happen. 
You and I need to recognize that we can't count on anything. We can't say this guy has always been right in the past. I know he's always gonna be right in the future. We can't say, I feel this way today. I know I'll feel this way tomorrow. No, you don't. There is only one thing in the world you can count on, and that is God. That is it. The immutability of God means that he is eternal and he is unchanging. He is eternal. It means that God is the only thing in history, in the whole universe, that has no beginning. Everything else has a beginning. Even little kids, little kids will ask, I mean, every kid, I think, at some point asks their parent this, who made God? And by saying that, kids are, are, are speaking a, an important truth. Everything has an origin point. If you walk into your office, if, you're, if you work in an office, you walk into your office tomorrow and there's a gift wrap present on your desk, you're not gonna say, oh, well, it's amazing how the molecules came together and formed this present out of nowhere. No, you're gonna say, who brought this? You're gonna ask somebody, did anyone see who brought this present to me? Because you know everything has an origin except for God. See, this is, this is the question that is the bane of every atheist's existence because it's the question they can't answer. Where did all this stuff come from? Oh, well, we can tell you where people came from because of evolution. Okay, fine. But then where did all the stuff come from that they evolved from? Well, we, we can tell you that it, all, it was all a big bang. Okay, well, where'd all the stuff come from that went bang? They can never answer that question. There has to be a first cause, and God is the first cause. He is eternal, but he's also unchanging. And today I wanna talk about why that is so important, why that should be so comforting to you and me. So we're gonna start with Psalm 102, 25 through 27. We're gonna cite a lot of scripture today, but that's our beginning point. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be discarded, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. I love that because it, it, it's like, most of you probably aren't wearing the shirt you were wearing yesterday, and if you are, I don't need to know. But think about that. Think about how quickly you wear a shirt, you got it on for a few hours, you take it off, you put on another one. And God says, that's the way we are. The world, everything in the world is just like a garment. It, it wears out, but God isn't. God is unchanging. God is eternal. Why is that important? Why is that comforting? Why should that make us wanna praise him all the more? Well, number one, because that means God's character never changes. Recently, Carrie and I celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. That's hard to believe. I can't even imagine that I'm saying that. And yet I look back at the pictures of us when we were 21, 22 years old, first got married. She doesn't look that different. But I know that I could run a lot faster back then. I could. I could lift more weight back then. I could go out and play, uh, you know, ultimate frisbee with the, with the kids in the youth group. No big deal. These days it would kill me. Uh, you know, I, I was more idealistic back then. I was more optimistic. I, I, also, I also didn't used to hurt myself sleeping. And I do now. And I don't understand how that works. You know, half the time Carrie's like, why are you limping? I don't know. I must have slept wrong. That didn't happen when I was 21. Now there's, there's hair sprouting out of parts of my body that shouldn't have hair on them. I don't know what is up with that. God hasn't explained that to me. But you know, there are ways in which I've changed for the worse. But there are also ways in which I've changed for the better. I know that I'm much more patient than I was back then. I know I'm, I'm much wiser than I was then. I'm not as wise as I wanna be, but 
I, I make better decisions now than I did back then. I'm, I'm, I've grown in a lot of the fruit of the Spirit because the Spirit of God has been working on me these last 30 years. And yet, God can't say that about himself. God can't say, I've grown, because he never grows. Here, here's the way the theologian A.W. Pink put it. He said, he cannot change for the better, for he is already perfect. And being perfect, he cannot change for the worse. James, the brother of our Lord, James 1.17 wrote, he is the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Everyone you know is fickle. Even the stubbornest person you know flip-flops on some things, but God does not change. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that means that even when our circumstances change, God is still the same. And that's one of the hardest things for us to remember because it's easy on a Sunday morning when you're wearing your best clothes and you're around people who all love the Lord and you love them and you're all singing these great songs. It's easy to remember how, great, how good God is. It's easy when you're gathered around your family or, or when you're eating a good meal or when everything's going your way to say, yes, God is good. But what about when none of that is true? What about when when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, when you can't see him, you can't feel him, you can't detect him, you don't know what he's up to, and you're tempted to believe, maybe I was wrong about God, or maybe he's changed, or maybe he doesn't love me like I thought he did. It's important to know that God never changes. His character is always the same. So when I was 30 years old, I became pastor of South Avenue Baptist Church in Pasadena. And the other full-time minister on staff there was named Jim Overton. He was our associate pastor. He's still there, by the way. And Jim was older than me, and, and he was wiser, and he was further along in his walk with the Lord. So even though I was technically the boss, I guarantee you, I learned more from him than he learned from me. And one day, I was looking through a book of funeral sermons that someone had given me, and I found a sermon that quoted a poem by a guy named A.M. Overton. And so I went to Jim and I said, oh, is this one of your relatives? And he said, no, it's, one, it's my dad. I said, oh, well, I've got to hear this story. So he tells me that, you know, he said, I was born, my dad was much older when he had me, uh, but when he was a young man, he was married, early, he was married to another woman, uh, had, had three kids, she was pregnant with the fourth, in the process of labor and delivery, she and the child both died. So imagine, here's this young man, he's pastor of a church, uh, he's, he's grieving the loss of his wife, his infant child, he's got these three little kids who are counting on him, he doesn't know where to turn, what to do, he's sitting in his church, in the pew, listening as another man preaches the, the funeral sermon, and these words come to him, the words of this poem, and he writes them down, he literally wrote this poem during that funeral, and I wanna read it to you. It's called, He Maketh No Mistake. My father's way may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache, but in my soul I'm glad I know he maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray. My hopes may fade away, but still I'll trust my Lord to lead, for he doth know the way. Though night be dark and it may seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all to him. He maketh no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see. My eyesight's far too dim. But come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the mist will lift and plain it all he'll make. Through all the way, though dark to me, he made not one mistake. And ever since then, that's been almost 20 years ago, I, I've seen that poem in, in sermons and in articles and books. 
Sometimes the A.M. Overton isn't even credited. It's just like an anonymous poem. But this past, a uh, couple of weeks ago when I was writing this message, I, I looked up the story online. I wanted to make sure I got the story right. And I found uh, an article online that told the story. It was actually uh, by uh, another one of A.M. Overton's relatives. And at the bottom, you know how the, there are comments on online articles? Nine times out of 10, those are a bad idea. But I read those comments and I read things like this this poem means so much to me. This is what they read at my grandmother's funeral. And I think of her whenever I read it. One guy even said, I had walked away from Christ and this poem brought me back to him. So how can a man nearly 100 years ago who's lost uh, what seems to be his rock, right? Who, who faces an absolutely uncertain future. How can that man sit there and say, God is still the same. God makes no mistakes. I know I can count on him. It's because... It's because of the cross. See, if all we had was commands, if all we had was stories, if all we had was rituals, as good as they are, because they're from God, it wouldn't be enough. But because our God became a man, because our God knows what it's like to grieve the loss of a son, because our God put himself in our place, we know. We know, we know that whatever happens, Even though we don't know why it happens, we know the answer is not because God doesn't care. Because a God who dies for you doesn't suddenly stop caring. We know that that even though we don't know what the future holds, we know God's gonna go there with us because he identified with us at the cross. He didn't have to. He showed up when it should have been us on that cross. He took our place. We have answers. His character never changes. Number two, we know that God's truth never changes. And this is another thing that's comforting about his immutability. God's truth never changes. If you've lived in this world long enough, been a Christian long enough, you know there are many people in this world, even people who have a Christian background, who think we're fools for basing our belief system on a book that's 2,000 years old. And they'll say things like, well, don't you know that there's been so much learning, so much advancement, so much enlightenment in the 2,000 years since that book was written? Sure, there's some good stories in there and maybe a few commands that are helpful, but how can you believe every word of it? I mean, don't you know that book is full of contradictions? By the way, whenever someone says that to you, your question should always be, really, tell me about those contradictions so we can talk about them. Because 99% of the time, they don't know. They've just been told that it's, con- that it's full of contradictions. They'll tell you, don't you know you're on the wrong side of history? Well, Isaiah 40 verse eight tells us, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. God's truth never changes. It will always be there. If you ever read the history of what it took to get the Bible to us in the English language, you will see that there were forces down through history that did their best to make sure that God's word did not get to you. Sad to say, a lot of those forces were within the church itself, if you think the devil isn't real. And yet you hold in your hands either a physical Bible or a smartphone with the Bible in every translation known to man because God made sure you had access to it because God's truth never changes. 
Jesus himself in, in Matthew 5.18 said the law, what we call the Old Testament, will last forever. And then he said in Luke 21.33, my own words, Jesus' own words, he said, would never pass away even if the world ceases to exist. And so we can look at our critics and say, listen, I'm not on the wrong side of history. Jesus is the king and he'll always reign. So whatever side he's on is, by definition, the right side of history. God's truth never changes. And I know some have questions about that. They'll say, yeah, but there are parts of the Bible we don't follow anymore. Why? Uh, obviously, we're not, we're not coming on Sunday mornings and sacrificing bulls and goats and sheep on an altar. We're not, we're not fasting one day a year for, for Yom Kippur. We're not following those three great festivals of, of the Israelite nation. Uh, we're not eating kosher, right? You and I go out and we eat all kinds of food. We don't worry about whether it's forbidden in the book of Exodus. And when our teenagers get out of hand, we don't take them outside the city gates and stone them to death. Although there is some merit <laughs> to that. I kid. But why don't we do those things? Well, because Jesus and Paul both in the New Testament tell us that those parts of the law don't apply to us anymore that the law of Moses is no longer our guide. We now have the Spirit of God guiding us. The Holy Spirit of God tells us what to do. And in combination, in concert with God's word, we now know God's will. We don't need the law anymore. And, and there's a longer discussion to be had about how you know what commands in the Old Testament are still binding and which ones aren't. But let me just say this. Let me just say this. When you were little, if you had a good dad like I did, you can remember some of the things he said to you. You can probably remember a lot of the things he said to you. And some of the things he said to you when you were four or five years old, you still try to live by to this day. Like, respect your elders. Like, whatever you do, do your best at it. Like, be kind to others. Treat other people the way you would want to be treated. All of that is still true today. But there are other things that your dad said to you when you were four or five that you don't follow anymore. Like, you know, when you cross the road, you better hold an adult's hand. Right? Or, or it's okay to play with your toys in church, you just can't make noises while you play with your toys in church. I guess that's still true, right? I mean, y'all can, as long as you're not, bam, 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 y'all can play all you want, but I just don't see many of you doing that. Or, you know, guys, you need to go to bed at eight or your mother's gonna lose her ever-loving mind, right? <laughs> These are things that you hear when you're five and they're true then, but they're not binding today. Not because your dad was wrong, but because that was for a different stage of your life. In the same way, there are laws in the Old Testament that applied to Israel at that point in time. And Jesus comes along later and says, okay, I'm fulfilling all that. I am the new temple. I am the sacrifice. I am the high priest. I am the answer to all these things. And it doesn't make God's word less true. In fact, those passages tell us about his character and, and inform us of who he is. If you want proof that, that God's truth never changes, spend some time around people who have devoted their lives to studying and applying that word to their lives. And I know many of those people. See, one of the blessings of my life, aside from my relationship with God, aside from my family, maybe my greatest blessing is that I get to spend time shepherding the people of God, and the people of God are wonderful. 
Now, I know, I know the church has many, many flaws, not just First Baptist Conroe, but the church capital C, and I talk about it often. And I know there's lots of articles in which people de- deconstruct their faith and talk about how the church burned them. But I can tell you, I can tell you, I've been, a pa- I've been in church all my life and I've been a pastor since I was 26. And God's people are amazing. And, and here's the thing, just word of personal testimony. Again, became a pastor when I was 26. I'm almost double that now. Um, and... In all that time, I've only pastored churches where most of the people were older than me. Now we're reaching that tipping point, right? Where that's gonna no longer be true. But through the years, especially when I was in my 30s and 40s, people would say, wouldn't you, wouldn't you love to be pastor of you know, one of those young hip churches where everybody's young and you know, 25, 26 years old? And Yeah, I'm sure there's some joy to that too and those churches are good. But one of the blessings I have is I'm around people who have marinated in the word of God for decades. And it's made them mature, it's made them wise, it's made them humble, it's made them kind. I just, I, my blessings are so much greater than my, than, my, than my hardships because I get to spend so much time around people that I just, I just adore because of who God has created them to be. And you might say, well, that's great for you, Jeff, but, but I know this guy who's a deacon or who is a Sunday school teacher or who is in church every Sunday and, and he cheats on his wife or he's abusive to his kids or, or he's, he's a liar or he's, he's a crook in his office or he's just a mean racist guy or whatever. And I agree, there are hypocrites all through the church. And you look down through church history and you can see moment after moment where the church embarrassed itself and disgraced the name of God. Yeah, you can, you can write, there have been books about that and they're all true. And you know what is true of all of those cases? Every hypocrite you know, every embarrassing stumble by the church of Jesus Christ is every time it was because the people of God stopped following the word of God. It's not because God was wrong. It's not because there's something wrong with God's word or his will or his spirit. It's because God's people said, no, 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 God, leave me alone. I know better. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. I'm gonna be who I wanna be instead of conforming their lives to his word. It's not because we have too much scripture. It's because we follow it too little. So let me just ask you, how often do you read his word? How often do you study it? You know, I put out a daily devotional so that if you get nothing else, it's like taking a multivitamin, right? If you don't eat anything good for you in a day, at least you've taken your multivitamin. I put out that daily devotional that you get on emails if you're signed up for it, so that if you get nothing else, you at least get that little bit of the word, but I hope you go further than that. I hope you're studying the word for yourself. I hope you're applying it to your life. And not just on Sunday mornings and not just once in a while, I mean every day. And when I say applying it to your life, I mean don't just read the Bible so you can win a Bible trivia contest. I mean, you ought to be able to tell me the last couple of times you changed the direction of your life because of something you saw in scripture. Every one of us ought to be able to tell stories like that. The best Christian in this room, whoever he or she is, and only God knows, still has room to grow, I guarantee you. So apply God's word to your life because God's truth never changes. Number three, number three, God's purposes 
never change. Psalm 33, 11 says, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations, God's plans are unstoppable. 1 Samuel 15, 29, the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Remember, man in that case means human. So God's throwing shade on you and me and saying, you people can't keep anything. You're, you're flip-floppy, but I never change my mind. I'm not like you. And it means two things. It means, number one, his promises have no expiration date. Hallelujah, hallelujah, you will be forgiven of your sins because God said so. Heaven is real, and you'll get there by his grace, and it'll be better than anything you can imagine because God said so. His promises have no expiration date, but number two, his plans for us are unstoppable. So there's no sin you can commit that'll cause God to go, well, I wanted you to do this, but never mind. And there's no moment where you can run away from God and be gone so long that when you come back, he says, you know, I was gonna do this, but never mind. God's plans for you are unstoppable. I love that the, the main words of that song that the, the kids, I, I don't wanna say they danced to it because we're in a Baptist church, for goodness sakes, but they did their choreography too, right? It quotes my favorite verse of the Bible. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared ahead of time for us to do. That's Ephesians 2.10. So before you were ever born, God had a plan for your life. And that plan cannot be stopped unless you just choose not to follow it. Now that brings up a question. Well, well, how do I know what God's plan is? I mean, God's never given me the plan. I don't know what God's plan is. And I used to worry about that. When I was 20 years old, when I was in my teens, I, I, was, I was just determined. I wanna find God's purpose for my life. And I read all kinds of books and I prayed and I asked questions. And then one day, someone explained something to me that just gave me a sense of peace. He said, remember Matthew 6.33? Matthew 6.33, this is Jesus talking to poor people who literally worried that if, if there's a, an early frost or an invasion of bugs or, or just a, a, a drought, I'm not gonna be able to feed my family. I'm not gonna be able to clothe my kids. In Matthew 6, Jesus looking at those people said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. He says, don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothes. Don't worry about any of the stuff you need. I'll take care of you. You just put my kingdom and my righteousness first. God's kingdom means help other people make Jesus king. So love others in my name. Tell them the truth of the gospel. Uh, God's righteousness means grow in me, become like me, become conformed to the character of Christ. So if your focus, your life's goal is loving others and making him known and growing to become more like him, if those are the twin focuses, foci of your life, then God's gonna give you everything you need. And that, if that includes food and that includes clothing, it will definitely include letting you know what his will is. So don't worry about what his will is. In fact, I'm gonna tell you what his will is. You ready for this? I know what God's will is for your life. Your, God's will for your life is that you stay awake till the end of the sermon, <laughs> that, that you're kind to the people sitting next to you, that, that you, you go out of your way to, to be friendly to someone who you haven't seen before, that you make sure they know they're welcome here, that if you eat out today, that you are good to your waitress, that you tip her well, that, that you, you pray for people who are struggling, that you look for opportunities to, to love others in the name of Christ. See, my point is this. Don't think about what is God's will for my life 
as if what you have to do is just sit around waiting for him to, oh, you know, come down uh, like Paul on the Damascus Road. Instead, just do what you know you're supposed to be doing right now. Every time you do something in obedience to God, it's like you're picking up a breadcrumb and you're following him step by step and you follow him in obedience daily, you're not gonna miss God's will because he's not hiding. He is going to show you his will. He is going to lead you into his will. Speaking of Will, years ago when Will was a little boy, I was complaining to my family about uh, something that had happened. I don't even remember the details. I just know that I had hired some company to do some work on my house and in the process of doing the job, they had broken something. I don't remember what it was, but I remember arguing with them and they refused to admit they were responsible. So that meant I had to call some other company that had to come out and fix the mistake that that company made. And I was complaining about this to my family and Will speaks up, he's like seven or eight years old, like I said, and he says, so I don't understand why that makes you so mad. Because to him, it's like, all you're doing is making phone calls, right? They're doing all the work, why are you, why are you so mad? And I said, no, you don't understand. They're not doing it for free. I'm having to pay them to do this work. This is my money going to those people to fix a problem that other guy made. I don't like paying for other people's mistakes. And without batting an eye, he goes, yeah, but Jesus paid for your mistakes. It's like, who asked you, knucklehead? No, I was, I was amazed. See, he didn't know anything about what I was going through or, or what needed to happen in our house. He didn't understand finance. What he understood was something that A.M. Overton understood 100 years earlier, and that is the fact that Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago should make a difference in the way we live today. Because he forgave me, then I should forgive others. Because he loved me when I was absolutely unlovable, then I should love even the people who don't deserve to be loved. And because he never changes, I can trust him even when I don't understand because he maketh no mistake.